Ласкаво просимо на футбольний подкаст Нічної зміни. Welcome to the Nightshift Football Podcast, episode 97. This week's intro coming to you in Ukrainian. Not because we stand with Ukraine, but well, we probably do. But because Mikhailo Mudrik is an absolute dog. You heard it, a dog. An absolute dog. I'll just say dog again. I've run out of insults. Hey, we're joined by uh, Tommy this week, as usual. How you doing, man? Yeah, just good. I'm trying to think of a different insult other than dog that, you know, fits in this. Maybe just like... Maybe just relax on the dog. <laughs> Poor dogs. Hey, I love that we, I love that we yeah. I love that we don't stand with Ukraine as well, just straight away off the bat. No, well, I guess we do. Um I'm also we're also joined this week for the first time ever by our social media man Cooper. He's jumped on. Uh he he made an appearance for a brief second on the at the match pod against Melbourne Victory, but we finally got a hold of him. He's not doing shit on social media right now, so we've got him. Say hello, man. How you going? Yeah, good man. How are you guys? Fucking excellent. Although Mudrick, it's got me worked up. He's a dog. All right, let's jump straight into some football because there's league. Uh, there's Spanish Super Cup. There's Serie A, Snoria, uh, Premier League. There's fucking all sorts, man. Uh, PSG. We're gonna start here because it's night shift football tradition that we start with PSG if they lose and they've lost Tommy. And I, I always open a good bottle of wine for this episode whenever PSG lose. <laughs> It's so few and far between. I don't have to get into my, my really good stuff. But this, you know, it's become a more, more regular. I'm enjoying it. Yeah, more regular. What have they lost? Four games this season in Ligue 1 now? Ligue 1? Four, Ligue 1. Four too many. Four too many for a club of that standing. Four, they shouldn't lose any, should they? No, they shouldn't draw any, nor should they ever concede. If you're going to construct this team, do it properly. Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't know if you watched any of the game or saw any of the highlights, but this looked like it was just Ren absolutely destroying these guys until uh, Mbappe had like a late one v one chance that he absolutely butchered, and that was that was pretty much the end of it. Yeah, um, from what I saw of it, Messi had one opportunity in the first half, like blazed over the bar. But like you said, Ren were on top in control, and they racked up their ninth consecutive home victory. So. You know, when you see results like this on paper, you think, oh, how have they done it? How have they upset the mighty PSG? But then if you dig a little bit deeper, there's some there's sometimes in football, you know, the money we'll see when we get to Brighton and Liverpool, that just <laughs> because you have stacked a side as hard as you can, doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win. Or Man City. We'll get to them as well. Doesn't necessarily well, mean you're going to win. Um yeah, uh, it brings the league back to, I know, like we keep laughing because they lost, but at the end of the day, they are still top of the league. Lens, Lens, uh, within three points. I think Lens dropped a game since beating PSG because I thought they made it, they brought it back think, to three points, but it's still draw, three points. Yeah. They drew on the weekend. Uh, sorry, they won on the weekend again, Lens, but um, mm. three points. They've only, lost, they've only lost one game. Um, but yeah, they're right up the next of PSG. Do we think PSG probably still too strong? Much too strong. Much Unfortunately, too strong. yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I, I didn't watch any of the game on the weekend, and I woke up to a message on my phone from you saying, "Boys, PSG lost," and I dropped everything to go straight and watch the highlights. <laughs> <laughs> that's it's night shift. Uh, that's what we live for. It it keeps us going. The only reason we still do this is on the chance that PSG might lose a game every now and again. So, and thankfully they have, and that's already way too much time spent on league. Uh. Um, Spanish mm. Super Cup was played. Uh, I don't know if either of you want to chime in about this, but how do we feel about uh, nations selling their Super Cup games to foreign countries? Selling their souls. 
I just, it, it immediately makes me uninterested in whatever's happening. Like what it, it's, it's an exhibition game. It's a spectacle. You don't, I think, you know what I thought uh, Cooper might like this. Would England, would the FA Cup ever do something like this? Well, it wouldn't be the FA Cup, would it? It'd be the Charity Shield. The Charity Shield. Would the Charity Shield ever do something like this? I seriously doubt it. No, I don't mm. think so. I mean, I did, I, I did hear a few rumours, though, that once once Chelsea heard that everyone else was in for the Spanish Super Cup, they, they tried to buy it for Stanford Bridge. So <laughs> Todd Bowley wanted it. <laughs> he just wants to buy everything, including Mudrick the dog. Well, that's what it that's what it comes down to, doesn't it? What if what if England wanted to buy the, the Spanish charity shield? What if Australia wanted to buy it? Would you go? Yeah, weird. I'd probably would have a look at it. I'd have a look. <laughs> if it was in Adelaide, I'd have a look. But you'd take your blood money. Way. Is yeah, it blood send, money if it's in Australia? Send the A-League grand final to Qatar and the Spanish Super Cup to Sydney. I'll go. <laughs> Yeah, let's well, let's not give the APL too many ideas. Um, on a footballing note, Tommy, we do this every week now, it feels, but uh, we've got big hard-ons for Gabby and Pedri, don't we? <laughs> they're wonderful footballers. <laughs> they're, yeah, they're just like you said, they're like a, a respawn of um, Xavi and Iniesta, and they're so fortunate to be able to have <laughs> them just come through at this exact right time. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> you killed me. Absolutely killed me. Um, yeah, they are. They're just unreal. They've slotted straight in. Like I said last week, like Pedri can just dump in and play holding mid, attacking mid, center mid, box to box, wing, whatever. Um, both scored this morning. Gabby got an assist as well. I thought he got two, but uh, live score hasn't credited him with it. Lewandowski scored another goal. That doesn't – the bet we had at the start of the year, count. that was La Liga goals, wasn't it? I keep true, forgetting. True. And how many was it? Uh, it was 20, I believe. I'm trying to find out now how many he's got. It's it's uh, a lot. It's more than 10. In my head, it was 10, but that might have been a previous stupid <laughs> that was, Timo Werner. I reckon they had Werner for 10, yeah. Yeah, he did. Timo Werner last season to score 10 Premier League goals, and he over 10, so I needed him to get 11, and he got like three. Ah, terrible. Uh, but yeah, Barca, Xavi's got him ticking. They've turned it on. They're now lead La Liga as well, don't they? And they're... They look like mm-hmm. they're probably going to start to skip away from Madrid. I don't know when when did Madrid start to look at changing up this Luka Modric, Tony Cruz thing. Surely it's now. They've started, right? Now that they've let Casemiro go. I mean, I guess that's the first acknowledgement that that, that that midfield three needs to be worked upon now. So um, the hardest part for them, I suppose, is because they're going to want to bring in a DM <clears throat> that is of a similar quality to Casemiro. And you can see what he's doing for Man United at the moment. But the only way to bring that in, you're going to have to make him the fulcrum of that midfield. And you're going to have to, like Casemiro fit into the, that midfield three so well because he didn't mind playing the unassuming role. He didn't yeah. mind doing that. I don't know you're going to find someone to come in and do that role for them. Um, if Kante could get his injury uh, crisis solved, I think that would be a good buy for them if they wanted to maintain the three because he would come in and compliment them. But more than likely, yeah, they're going to have to ship one, aren't they? It's looking that way. How old is Angolo Kante? I'm going to guess and say 32. 32. Get, so does that nice, help man. if you bring him, bring him in he's, alongside he's those 31. two already aging players? I was about to float the idea. I think maybe this is what separates Barca and Real Madrid in the world of football is that Barca had these two young ready-made Spanish midfielders to come in and, and Real Madrid are here with a... They might have won a Champions League in recent times, but an all-international midfield that's fading away. How do you replace it? 
Yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, they you can't discredit them at all because the Modric, Cruz, Casemiro thing has won them multiple Champions Leagues, hasn't it? And then and multiple La Liga titles. Um, but it looks like it's just starting to slip away a bit. Like they played the midfield three this morning of Modric, Cruz, Camavinga. Mm. Camavinga was the first one taken off out of the three again, and mm, I don't know that. That but Barca. If Barca are going to be this strong, they've got players ready to come in and just replace the likes of Busquets and co. Then Xavi's setting them up well for the future and maybe it's just another turning. But um, at the end of the day, it still looks like just a Real Madrid, uh, Real Madrid, Barcelona dominated league, isn't it? Yeah, I get that impression. I mean, Chuamane is in that midfield too that should be trying to um, bustle his way into there. Um, Yeah, you're probably right. Just Barcelona have... Wasn't in the squad. Okay, must be out through yeah. some kind of knock injury, but regularly you would think maybe he can come in and compete for that position come, uh, going forward. Yeah. Hard to say. I mean, they're just so fortunate, Barca. It makes me wonder how many ready-made central midfielders they had while Xavi and Iniesta were there that just didn't get the minutes and they didn't get the look in because it wasn't needed at the time. How yeah. many of these young, talented footballers they just chewed up and spat out like, nah, give it a couple more years, give it a couple more years. Yeah, guys like, um, um, you said Real Madrid, didn't you? Mm. That's who, yeah, it's like guys like Hakimi, who I've mentioned a few times, I think, like went to Dortmund on loan, turned it up, and then rejected staying at Dortmund because he wanted to make it at Madrid. And then they sent him on loan to Dortmund again. And then he said, nah, I want to go back. I want to make it at Madrid. And then they eventually sold him to Inter. And now he's found yeah. his way at PSG. But they've they've got a few players that have gone through like that. And they've, they've stuck with some of the old guns. And like Carvajal as well, he's not super old, but just uh, they haven't really refreshed it at all. Uh, it might come back to bite him. Um, moving on, Syria looks all but wrapped up, doesn't it? Um, Napoli, we we talked last week about uh, Juve and their Allegri ball, just kind of keeping clean sheets with ease, um, but not necessarily winning a heap of games. And then despite all those clean sheets, they've come up against a Napoli side that, Tom, you said were the best in Europe before the World Cup. And mm-hmm. they've come along here and put five past Juve to make it 5-1. Milan, coincidentally, drew this weekend as well, which means um, the table has just opened right up and Napoli are just cruising now uh, nine points ahead. Too good. They are just, you know, a, a Juve side that, what was it, nine consecutive wins? It was nine and cons- then... Nine yeah, and then Inter came along and oh you're talking about I thought you were talking about titles, sorry. Carry on. Mm. Um so for them for Napoli to come out and just put on this kind of destruction in the box like this. Um Oyserman is fucking He's a amazing, beast. man. Um deservedly leader of the golden boot at the moment. And just you know, you've got good strikers behind him in that race, like Latara Martinez, who scored for Inter on the weekend. Uh, I think Liao scored as well for Milan, didn't he? Yeah, Rafael Liao pretty much always scores for Milan. And but then to just see this guy streak ahead, um, spearheading yep. one of the most exciting attacks in Europe, if not the world, I would be deathly afraid of uh, who have they got in the Champions League? Is it Frankfurt? I think I check Frankfurt have to come. Oh, I couldn't have tell to come. You. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would be ready, prepared, looping up. I think it's going to be a massacre. Yeah, I think like the only time Juve seemed to look okay, weirdly, was when Angel Di Maria got on the ball and he was actually really starting to create stuff. Um, he did end up scoring their goal after some good interplay with Milik, the Juve striker who they brought in from Napoli. So <laughs> this guy's left Napoli, 
um, much like Koulibaly last season. And now his side is streaming ahead. They may have missed their chance to win Serie A. Um, but Italy just, I've said it before, how exciting this league has been. This year, the gap is opening up, but it's still interesting, I guess, just because we went through nine years of Juve winning and then Inter won the league and then Milan won the league. And now it looks like Napoli could win it. So that'll be four different winners in four years. Um, that's, I don't know, that's good football. I like it. It's funny, last week, the discussion was, the, the Allegri ball discussion was potentially we should be talking about the Allegri wall instead of the Allegri ball, and then it just got absolutely demolished this week by Napoli. Yeah. Just looking at it here, Juve have now conceded 12 goals in the league this season, and five of them belong to Napoli on the weekend, just gone. Yeah, unreal. Um, there's only so far, I don't know, it feels very defensive. Just, and I, I don't know why you, I think I said it last week, I don't know why you'd be attributing the you know, Allegri ball. Usually you reserve the ball for like, you know, exciting football. Geniuses, yeah. Keeping clean sheets like Bielsa ball or we, we always say Ange ball. But um, we never say Viet ball. Like this is why there are <laughs> levels to this. We don't say Viet ball, definitely. And we never will. God. Um, yeah, but that's all we've got. Syria looking like Napoli might get away with it. Long way to go still. They haven't quite played hard. They're not even halfway through the games, I don't think. They've played, oh, they are now, they've played 18, so one to go. Just and interesting halfway through. with Serie A as well. Is Like I said, Napoli might be running away from it. You've got a nine-point gap between first and second and then a four-point gap between second and seventh. So yeah. we're still going to see lots of entertaining football in the Serie A in the rest of this season. Absolutely. Um, we'll move on to the Premier League if you like. Guys, you got nah, anything else you want to add from around Europe? Nothing? No, I'm, good. Pr- I'm pretty, pl- pretty pleased with that. I think we got everywhere. Beautiful. Um, if anyone does care, there were Scottish Cup semis on the weekend that Celtic and Rangers both won. So a Celt- an old firm Scottish Cup final coming up for whenever anyone cares about it. Uh, Premier League. Where, we're not- where's that going to be? Yeah. Middle of Kazakhstan? Where have they yeah, sold theirs? Maybe they could sell it. Yeah, sell it to the, the Maldives. Ooh, Malta. Go get a tan. I don't know, somewhere. <laughs> Um, Somewhere that no, doesn't rain be, all the time. It'll be an oil nation. Where it'll be Qatar. Yeah, they won't sell it. Um, Premier League, we'll get straight into that. I don't have anything on fantasy this week because I think we're halfway through a game week currently. Uh, all, I'll, all I'll say is that we stuck with our boy Ward Prowse and he's finally done us done us something. I'm telling he's you, we need to get bits. rid of Salah. We need to get rid of Salah, but we'll get to that later when we talk about Liverpool's capitulation. Uh, we'll start with this one, though. I believe it was the Friday morning, Fulham 2, Chelsea 1. Um, mainly just because Chelsea are in a massive hole and their big boy came in, Jao Felix, across on loan from Atletico and got himself a straight red. Isn't it just peak, like best league in the world, TM, to have Jao Felix come in on this <laughs> multi-million pound loan and then to get sent off and cost Chelsea like somewhere near three million pounds for his absence over those games? I don't know if anyone noticed, but I was real salty. Like, I really like this guy. no. I really liked Jao Felix. I was really excited to get it. There was, there was, it was just rumors. And I never really, I never buy into the the rumors about like who a, like a club will sign. But for this one, I was like, oh, that would be, that would be good. And, um, you know, there's reasons for that, obviously, which we'll get to when we talk about Arsenal later. But he ended up going to Chelsea, as did uh, Mudrick, who I mentioned at the start <laughs> after posting all this stuff about Arsenal. And it's just, he's been a bit of an embarrassing ride for him. But, Chelsea in a complete hole. They won against Palace the night before we're recording, but what's what's going on here? 
Um, well, with Chelsea more generally, it just they've got a transfer um, strategy that is essentially just pickpocket your rivals and whoever they announce that they want. And they don't, I think we exclaimed last week when they were, or was it a few weeks ago when they were, you know, linked with Matt Callister and they'll link with Enzo Fernandez and all these different players. And you're like, well, like, why? Where are you putting them? What's what's the plan? Where, where are you going with this? And like, yeah, this guy seems like a good player, good talent. Is he worth 100 mil? Probably not. Is he going to make Chelsea into a top four team? I'm going to go out on a limb and say no. Yeah. they got all sorts of issues at the moment. And then even like when they played last night, um, Against Palace, we're recording late on the Monday night. When they played Palace, they like Aubameyang doesn't even start. They've just signed all these guys, and they just they don't know what they're doing with them. And then they end up sacking a manager who got half those players in, and now they've got a new manager who's getting new players in. The owner is just I saw that meme about Todd Bowley. Just is it Todd Todd Bowley? Believe so, yeah. Yeah, he's just going out and like reading the newspapers and seeing who they're linked with, and then going out and buying them. Like it's just, it's ridiculous. It's like FIFA stuff going on here. They're just spending, spending, spending. Um, they're not really. It's like if you let. It's like if you let ChatGPT um figure out who they were going to sign next. They're just running a bunch of names through an AI, chugging them through. Bang! What should the cost be? Supercomputer. Okay, hundred mil, whatever. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we'll we'll move on. But that's Chelsea's woes. I'm sure that everyone's sick of hearing about it. But maybe they're not because yeah. unless you're a Chelsea fan, I think lots of people enjoy seeing Chelsea in this kind of hole. Oh, I, I I get a sick do. kind of pleasure out of seeing Chelsea fail. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should t- maybe Fulham quick. Um, they're proper purring, aren't they? Up to sixth in the league, despite uh, the re- we wouldn't get, we weren't going to talk about Newcastle. They beat them one nil, but. Still picking up valuable points against you know contenders for the minor European places, yep. um, you know they might go down as like the best promoted team in the modern era. You think so? Where are they on the table now? I think they're sixth. Right. Would that? Where did Sheffield United finish that season? I reckon they finished sixth as well, didn't they? Or seventh? So they they might have been seventh. I think. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, Fulham, Fulham sitting sixth with Brighton seventh. So. Yeah, interesting. Um, Pleasantly surprised. We'd never have had them for that. Yeah, 100%. I think you and I both had them in there. Did I have them in my three to go down? I'm not sure I did because they changed their strategy from Mm. last time. Last time they came up, they just spent big, brought... They did what Forrest did and it just capitulated. But um, I think this time, because they kept their squad together, I figured that might be enough to grind out some wins, but would never have thought they'd be sitting sixth. We'll move it on. Uh, we'll skim by the fact that Villa beat Leeds because you don't want to talk about it. Neither do no. we, frankly, because no one cares about Leeds. <laughs> I'm not sure many people care oh. about Villa either. If um, you're going to characterise it like that, then yeah, <laughs> fucking let's talk about Leeds. What, what did you, you think? Go on. Yeah, what did you think? No, I want to think- know what you think now. I think you suck because I watched them play Cardiff last week as well. I think we talked oh, about that, but not me personally. I, I don't think you're good. <laughs> I don't think Leeds are good at all. I don't think anyone does. I have le- I have less to do with this Leeds team than I ever have before. So don't direct this. No, um, they they're starting to call uh, Jesse Marsh Yank Lampard, and I think that shows just how much the Leeds <laughs> base are identifying <laughs> with that man in charge. Yep. I think that's said it all. I don't think we'll spend any more time on that. We'll leave you with Yank Lampard. Um, Thank you. This is a big one I think we want to get to. There was two really big games this weekend. One of them was, of course, this Manchester derby at Old Trafford. I might start. I'll go to you first, Cooper. Did you watch this one? What were your thoughts on it? Yeah, I did watch it. Um, 
we had the discussion after the after the Adelaide United game about whether Man United could pick a result at home. They've been as much as you hate to admit it, and I don't know how good the football they have been playing is, but they've been winning games of late. And I, the discussion of last week whether teams not taking the cup seriously hurts them in that sense. Did it potentially hurt City coming off the back of probably the worst performance we've seen from them in mm. four or five years against Southampton midweek? Just just might have knocked the air out of them a bit because they had the one nil lead, but geez, they weren't good. No, they weren't good. I think, Tom, do you have, you have some strong thoughts on the quality of this game, didn't you? Maybe not so much the quality. I actually thought the quality was um, quite high, but the entertainment value was just insipid. That okay. the first the first half of this game was just. I'm gonna I'm gonna go against you. But yeah. You're right. I, yeah, look, so... I, like I said, I think the quality was there, and like yeah. what you saw. I don't want to take too many massive pot shots. Are like good defensive displays, yeah. which is that that's what this was by Man United. Um, but at the same time, there's a billion pound worth of football out there, and they are, you know, there's not a lot going on in terms of City having the ball, not being able to break United down. Interesting. Yeah, I I definitely, I don't think the game was, particularly for the first half, I don't think it was all that entertaining. But I think I found the battle between, you know, City, City were moving the ball okay. But as you said, United defending pretty well, which was kind of causing this kind of stalemate in the first half. And I think it was just that battle was enough to give me, I don't know, I felt intrigued. Intrigued is probably the right word. I was intrigued by the battle and to see how it was going to finish, how it was going to go. And then obviously we got that that huge, uh, all the late stuff that happened in the second half. Um, I'll just firstly, the first City goal, just classic De Bruyne, isn't it? The one moment he gets away from Fred just slightly, who Fred did a remarkable job on KDB all game. The one moment he does get free of him on the ball in the box, he creates a goal. Did our um our main correspondent uh mentioned to me that Fred is the best tagger he's ever seen in the Premier League, <laughs> and I thought that's a great shout because he did he he did a great job on KDB um and you know also I think Malassia on uh Foden and there was just there was a lot of individual battles there uh, where the Man United guys came out on top, but this was a particular tactic that they tried straight after halftime and they did it for about fifteen minutes they were trying to shift left to right to left in order to you know. They just wanted to move the United players around a little bit more, obviously. And they did. They exposed the space. They got the overlapping. Oh, they got the late run into the box. Uh, Grealish, who had just come on. And that's, uh, you know, that's a typical City goal. And at, from then, I thought that was that was probably going to be it. I didn't see United really coming out of their shells and being able to get out of City after that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'll, I want to make a bit of a mention on, you just mentioned Malassia before. Um, interesting him starting at left back with, Luke Shaw playing centre-back. I'm not sure. I don't know, Cooper, have you ever seen Luke Shaw play centre-back? Maybe he has more often than I've noticed, but I don't think it's something I've noticed too often. No, the last couple of weeks he's gone to it. We we mentioned it the other week that it seemed like Ten Hag had put him back there. It was almost like he wanted someone more comfortable on the ball while Lissandro Martinez wasn't available. It didn't seem like Maguire or Lindelof was going to be able to play that small ball centre-back that's that's been working so well for them with Martinez. And, and I think Shaw's done a pretty remarkable job and it's, it's worked out in two ways because I mean, Malassia had that left back spot at the start of the season, but he was so badly out of form and just hadn't grown into the Premier League yet that he found himself out of the side and Shaw going back to centre back has brought him back in the team. And all of a sudden he's, he's showing what, what they thought they were going to get when they brought him in. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
I want to get on to, we'll get on to the United goals in a sec with um, obviously there was a lot of controversy around it. But just quickly, Man City, uh, Pep made one change in this game and that was bringing Grealish on for Foden. Uh, does anyone find it a bit suspect that you like you can have the quality of players that City have at their disposal and only make the one change? Like You don't want to use Julian Alvarez. You don't want to use... Uh, Gunnaran, you don't want to use Calvin Phillips. I know he's a defensive midfielder, but you don't want to just try change something. The game was well, screaming out for Ilko Gundogan because yeah, they had they had no they had no drive through midfield, and and I wonder whether it would be Gundogan off the bench or whether they they brought Alvarez on and moved even Mares or Foden back into that ten spot. But mm. with De Bruyne in Fred's pocket, they had nothing, and it, and it really showed that if you can, it's a different tactic. We haven't seen it. It's been spoken about in the press. Can you take him out of the game? Do they fall apart if you do when it's the first time we've seen it? And they did. Yeah, definitely. Tommy, what do you got? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, what, you know, at, what the game is kind of petering out before the goal. You know, you're coming into the 80th minute mark. I think, you know, United was starting to assert themselves a little bit more, creating a few chances. But at the same time, I still think City felt very comfortable and composed on the ball. They were keeping it well. You know, there's something to be said for making changes for changes sake. And look, I agree with Cooper. I think Gundogan would have been a massive improvement to what was going on in midfield. Yeah. Maybe you do at that point, one nil up, sacrifice KDB. I just say, today's not your game. There's no need for you to occupy this space. And then you might be able to create more two-on-ones in midfield because then the United midfielders feel a little bit more encouraged to come forward. But otherwise... You know, you you reach in the last 10 minutes, Pep's probably got a plan in mind to rotate a few more subs if they're defending a lead. As it yep. was, or oh, I don't know, it's hard to say. Like you said, the, the quality is on the bench and maybe not to bring Alvarez on when it goes 2-1 is a mistake in hindsight. But who who are you taking off? You're taking Mares off or a midfielder and then you're playing 4-2-4? Like, yeah, mm, yeah, 100%. That's the, it's, that's the other way you can look at it, isn't it? Like, You've got great quality on the bench, but then how do you justify taking some of those guys off? Um, we'll get to the the United goal. Fernandez obviously scores this equaliser. Casemiro credited with an assist. Uh, who who wants to go first? Uh, Let's I think let the we're guest. all in it. We're all in agreement that this should have been offside, but maybe the laws don't quite allow that. I disagree. But uh, Cooper, your thoughts on this? Yeah, it was one of those weird ones. And like we, we spoke about Dermot Gallagher sitting there at the end of the game and explaining it as if, um, you know, he hasn't interfered with play because he hasn't, what's the word I'm looking like for? Physically uh, touched the ball. Yeah, he hasn't physically touched the ball, which they, they are dictating means he hasn't played the ball. And you can argue he hasn't played the ball and you move on from that and go, okay, has he interrupted a defender? from having a fair opportunity of playing the ball. And as Gallagher said, that comes down to, it's another one that falls down to how the referee sees it rather than just like a flat out law. It's another interpretation thing. And the referee's gone over to the linesman and they've together interpreted that he hasn't when it seemed the whole rest of the world interpreted that he had. And see, I thought initially the linesman had interpreted it as offside because then he raised his flag. He did. So it seems like- The linesman did put his flag up. I get that VAR can't rule on interpretation. That's fine. But it seems like you'd be much better off having 
you know, more people sitting together reviewing the footage and trying to decipher whether or not there was intention to play the ball rather than one referee on the field overruling his assistant. Or you send a referee over to the screen and go, have another look. Do you Definitely. think he's stopped it? Now, now you see, because you, you're going off your first vision. You go over to the linesman and you go, all right, Walker, Edison, Akanji, has he interfered with any of them having a fair chance of playing the ball? And you're trying to go off a a split second memory in your brain. Whereas if you can just go over to the screen, take a minute, have a look. And I, and I think when you see the the replays and the images, it, it looks like if Rashford's not there, that there's a good possibility a Kanji can have a lunge at blocking the ball. Yeah. Or Edison even potentially comes out and clears it or a Kanji clicks into another gear and he sees Fernandez coming and he, he actually sprints his hardest to get there. Covers the space. Um, That's the thing. We, we it don't kind really of, know if- but- it kind of renders the offside trap a little bit null and void because he's, you know, um, is it is it Akanji? This no, it's Ake that steps up and he's Rashford's immediate man. And so if he's not deliberately trying to play him offside, he would, you know, you would typically think he's on his shoulder defending whatever play or being able to reach the ball as it was. So, and then it's the discussion with with interfering with goalkeepers. The rule they spoke about how the law states that the only way you can be interfering with a goalkeeper in an offside position is by obstructing their view. And Rashford's mm. not obstructing Edison's view here, but I think that's where the law probably needs to look at because if you look at the angle, there's a great image from behind Edison where Rashford has his left foot pulled back and Bruno has his right foot pulled back and Edison drops to his right knee, assuming that Rashford's going to hit the ball with his left foot across him. And then it comes the other way from Bruno. And it's, so it's, Edison's made his made his decision based off Rashford's presence. And if he's in an offside position, hasn't he interfered with play? Yeah, I was going to add to that um, that very point that I've done my fair share of goalkeeping over the years. Um, was was okay at it, but I think... Modest. I, I 100%, if I was standing in goals there, you're tracking Rashford there and you're anticipating what Rashford's going to do with his shot. And therefore, he is interfering with play because that's where my focus is. It's not on Bruno Fernandes coming in. It's on the guy with the ball at his feet because even though he doesn't t- take a touch, I would argue that Rashford is still in control of the ball. Yeah. He's same. just he's made the decision not to touch it because he's letting it run for himself. But he's still he's very much in control. He never lets the ball get away from him. He keeps the ball exactly where he wants it. It's one of those things. I think we've all probably done it at training where you – someone plays a pass to you and you can kind of shimmy your body without touching the ball to beat a defender or something like that. Mm. We saw Callum Wilson did one against Fulham last night where it looked like he, I think he touched the ball in the end, but it looked, he turned the defender without really touching it because he just let the ball run into the path. He's still interfering. He's still, it. he's in control of what's happening with the ball in that situation. So I definitely think it should have been offside. Um, and if I was Edison, I'd be pretty dirty because it, it, Definitely affects which way, which way you think the striker is going to shoot, which way the angle of the hips, all those sorts of things. And goalkeepers at that level are very, very good at reading those things as well. So depending on who the player is too. So definitely think it affects. Definitely think it should have been offside. Um, am I super upset about it? No. <laughs> as a neutral, um, yeah, should have as been as an offside. Arsenal fan. As an Arsenal <laughs> fan, honestly, I went into this game just thinking it, it was on. a win-win. Like either way, like either. Either City drop points, and that's good, or United lose, and that's always good. So, you know, whatever. We got the 
we got a United win in the end because uh, Marcus Rashford tapped home a winner and he's now scored in something like nine home games for United in a row. Not bad. Great assist from Ganacho off the bench as well. Another good cameo from the young man. Do you rate Ganacho? He really like lifted him. the he really lifted the the energy not just in the team but probably around Old Trafford. He's like sort of almost a fan favorite already, and I think him coming on just sort of lifted the atmosphere. And I don't know whether that helped them in that situation, um, but I think anything helps you more than having Anthony fucking Martial on the pitch. That experiment <laughs> is Ooh. so so far over, so far over. I think that's super harsh. Fifty million uh, down the drain, you reckon? I think Cooper? that's super harsh. Yeah, I still think so. I think Martial is a better finisher than Rashford. Um, I, I at this at this point Stats though, say otherwise. at this point though, I would like to see Martial go, go elsewhere. Um, would Where the would stats like say otherwise? Go? Would the stats say otherwise? The goal oh, stats, yes, sure. but goals yeah. per like if we were looking at something like goals per like per shot or something, I don't know. I'm sure. I'd wager that Martial's is better, but who knows? Um, Should we? No. <laughs> I, I would like to see. I'd like to see Martial go somewhere else now. Um, yeah, where would you like to see him go? He Premier seems League? like he seems like the sort of player that could probably play, um, you know, like a Milan or an Inter or something like that, or a Roma, mm-hmm. one of the top kind of top kind of like Serie it. A clubs, or maybe, um, you know, the teams that are just below Madrid and Barca. You know, maybe not Atletico, but you I know, like uh, another La Liga side like that. Um, just I've not, got a um, I think the Premier League's like probably a, done for him. A Dusan Tadic storyline for him. Maybe go to Ajax and absolutely, to to Ajax. absolutely romp the Dutch league. Just romp it. He strikes me as forty. He strikes me as one of those guys that's going to spend the next ten years of his career chasing PSG in France, <laughs> and then end up at Al Nasser. <laughs> He'll be yeah, one of the guys that he'll he'll end up at a big club he shouldn't be at where he still doesn't get the minutes, and then you look back on his career and it's just been wasted. Um a 40-year-old Martial at MacArthur. We'll move on. Everton Southampton was a thing. <laughs> um <laughs> Southampton, who are absolute so dog much, shit this year. So much disrespect, Sammy, for the relegation games this this weekend. I know. Southampton's sitting down like dead bottom, and they come out this week and they beat City in the in the League Cup, and then they go to Everton and get a win as well. Ward Prowse banging in goals for fun, it seems. Uh, but it's, it's disaster times now at Everton. And Tommy, you noticed some uh, some weird shit going on between fans and players. There was a lot of content on Twitter uh, after the game. <clears throat> you can see already the relationship is broken down between the fans with the board. Look, I don't really gauge how much they like or dislike Frank Lampard. I almost get the impression they don't really blame him for what's happening. I feel like all of the vitriol is going now at the board. But uh, after this game, I mean, I guess because it was bottom of the table, Southampton, that vitriol was taken out on the players. And there was lots of footage of Everton fans like blockading roads out, basically where players travel, just putting whatever they can find in order for the cars to stop so that they could, you know, turn uh, their cameras on and just berate whoever was in the car, like Anthony Gordon, or this this young fella called Ellis Sims who I've never heard of in my life, and he's copping it. I don't even think he's got a senior appearance. This poor kid. <laughs> um, I, but you know, it's a weird situation. I this is definitely not the way to go about it. But I saw one video of uh, Yeri Mina getting out of his car and kind of talking to them and confronting them, and that didn't look like a constructive conversation. It kind of yeah. looked like Mina 
struggling to understand what language these guys were speaking to begin with. I'd and imagine. then just repeatedly tapping his chest. <laughs> I'd imagine so. I'd imagine that's how it went. Um, I I haven't seen them personally, but I've seen like, you know, the Amazon had the all or nothing Arsenal doco and there's some of the footage of people stopping, like stopping a Bumiang's car or like standing there while he's stuck at the lights and they're just kind of, they're just standing there like banging on his door or his window and trying to get, what do you want him to say? What do you want a professional footballer to say? They're not out there like, Sometimes they, yeah, they might suck. Some of them might be lazy, like Aubameyang was, or like they might not be putting in the effort that you think is deserving. But the coaches still picked them, and I don't think none of the players are going out there intentionally trying to lose. I don't think at any Most level of the, of the game, people want to win. Uh, do, what what is a good like compensation package for players to fans? Then should should they just start throwing out wads of? hundreds <laughs> just out of their windows like sorry guys sorry guys i fucked up again here have my wages is that what they want i don't know i don't know what they want i don't know what they're expecting a player to say what's a player gonna do in that situation and the sort of people i think that are confronting professional footballers in that situation they don't know what they want either like they don't <laughs> they're just they're they're the sort of people i doubt they could be reasoned with anyway if you're taking that sort of irrational kind of approach to it i just it's all just really grim i just hate it it's I don't know. I don't. I don't like it either way as well. I've seen videos this week, lots of stuff about um, some like some of the shit that goes on between players to other fans as well. And I'm not a big fan of that either. Like fans and fans and players should just stick to their own kind of thing. You know, players be players, spectators be spectators. Celebrating goals is different, obviously. Like celebrate celebrating things together is different. But when we get into this weird shit, I don't know. It's, there was that clip of Kepper. I don't know what you think of that Kepper with the Crystal Palace fans where they were trying to throw the ball back to him, and he just kept punching it back into the crowd. He just kept punching it back and not taking it to go take his goal kick. And it's like, come on, man! Like you're an overpaid wanker. Just go play play football, <laughs> play the game, play the game. God. Oh well, that's my that's my rant. <laughs> I wholeheartedly agree with you, mate. There's enough There's enough time wasting in this game without goalkeepers intentionally punching balls back at fans. <laughs> that's, that's why it triggered me so much. It's like, come on. Um, Cooper, I don't know if you've got anything to add about Everton or Southampton. If, if there's ever a keeper. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't fathom how Southampton are the bottom of this league. No, yeah? Because they're trash. They're they've, trash. Been, they've been deplorable until the last week. I just think their squad is so much better than 20th in the Premier League. And I know that Nathan Jones has only had, what, two months to stamp his shape on this team, but but they're not going to stay up playing a 4-5-1. I think they're doing that thing again where you're going to watch a good squad go down because they got themselves in a bad position early and they're just going to start playing negative football, trying to, if we can grind out a few draws, we'll stay up in this league when they probably have the calibre to win games. Like... Their bench from the weekend, Adam Armstrong, I know he's only scored, what, two or three goals in 40-odd games, but he brings so much energy to him. Shea Adams is running around up front like a headless chook by himself with absolutely no help. And yep. they've they've signed Mislav Orsic from, is it Dinamo, I believe? He scored in the Champions League so, against yeah. Chelsea. Yeah, Seems like he's got a bit about him. Signed him, brought him in. He came on midweek against City. Didn't even get an appearance off the bench on the weekend against Everton. I, I just feel like they have to use what they've got a little bit better. Ainsley Maitland-Niles, not not bad enough to be on the bench for Southampton for 85 minutes in a relegation battle. No, I mean, they did win this game, though. So, 
I guess I don't want to read into those subs too much. Um, they're also missing Stuart Armstrong, Alex McCarthy, Theo Walcott, all to injuries, and a few others. But yeah, I don't think their squad is horrible, but they just they've played awful football for most of this year. So if they get out of it, they get out of it. But I feel like their time has come. They've just been pretty ordinary for a few years now. I feel like they deserve to kind of go down, <clears> like kind of like the Sunderland thing where they were just so bad for ages, but they kept clinging on. And um, and Burnley. This is their Burnley and moment. And Burnley. It's their Burnley <laughs> moment. they got to go. See you later. Come the, back next year. The, uh, the one positive I see is is we might finally get to see what James Ward-Prowse really has about him if they do go down and he gets that move somewhere else because he's a special player and, and he deserves to be in a better team. He gives me every intention that he would stay with Southampton in the championship. I don't know I if you've so. seen the um the clip of Jordan Pickford's reaction when Anthony Gordon gave away the free kick about 25 yards out from goal. <laughs> Pickford reacted like he'd given away a penalty. <laughs> yeah, definitely. He knew what was coming. <laughs> All right, we'll move it on to Brighton and Liverpool. You're here, Cooper, and you're a Liverpool man, so uh, now's your chance. Floor is yours. What the hell is going on? Why did you not really have a shot at all in this game. <laughs> um, they, had, they had a couple, two on target, but they were pretty well obliterated. 62% possession to Brighton. Uh, what's going on, man? What's going on? Good good week to make my debut on the podcast as a Liverpool supporter. Very good. <laughs> we've this had is better, how we do it. Nah, um, geez, we've, been, we've been gash at times this year, but we got absolutely dominated for 90 minutes in this game. Like, yeah. I'm not sure how many times in the last four or five years you could have sat down and watched a highlights package from the Liverpool game and 90% of it was their opponent attacking. Yeah. And and it could have been more. They had the ball in the net twice more than than what they had on the scoreline and we, and we got away with it a few times. We gave away a penalty that got saved, saved in an offside situation. We just, we just looked disjointed front to back. I mean, as far as Allison being out of form as well, it, it's just everyone now. It's just spread throughout the squad and it's it's become that point we sit in ninth now and you're almost starting to think I would rather miss if it's not going to be Champions League I would rather miss Europe huge call oh you don't want to make your conference league debut come on <laughs> it's beneath nobody I had to I had to pretend that I was excited about Roma being the first ever conference league champions last in his last year. I, don't, I don't think I could do it again. <laughs> that's one post I will forever forget sharing on my Facebook. That's, that's op- optimistic to think that you're going to win it though. Yeah, who do you think you are? You're just going to go win it, are you? You think you're that good? Um, this was God, like you said, you just absolutely rickrolled for like 90 minutes, <laughs> just like. Brighton pretty relentless when they get on these roles, and it's weird. Tom, you were saying maybe they've uh, you called it a blessing that Potter moved and that they've gotten even better. Yeah, I just I wonder if the timing of the whole thing maybe have worked out for them. Um, given the previous season, we liked them; they played good football. Um, their problem was they were unable to score goals, and I think maybe it's not like cognizant of Potter more generally, but it could have just been more his mentality you're seeing the same thing with Chelsea they're just not quite as free-flowing and attacking as they should be the idea that you can get rid of a good manager at a good time for your club and not have to go through that turgid drop of form the three months of you know what you're seeing at Everton basically at the moment uh, maybe even West Ham but to go out get the next evolution of manager bring him straight in uh, just what they're doing at Brighton is it's remarkable um 
in scouting terms, the ability to go out and find these managers that emphasize, you know, this kind of it's it's organized, but at the same time, it is attacking and it it is, you know, flare based and there's not just one pattern of play. You can see the different kind of goals that they score. It was illustrated really well in this game, I think. Uh, you, they can get it wide and cut it back. They can come through the middle. They can play long balls to Welbeck, who can control and beat players. Um, and it's just, I think it underlies, did you see the the tweet that's getting around the Brighton starting 11, uh, the cost of the entire team? No. The starting 11 cost 31 million pounds. How good. Which for a, a side beating Liverpool 3 0, you just, you, you don't think that kind of thing. I mean, how much did Gakpo cost? It's just, it's insane. Yeah. They're yeah. brilliantly oiled machine. I think, um, I think Blessing is probably a little bit harsh on Graham Potter. I think, um, Deserby probably has a lot of thank yous to give Potter in a sense that we're now getting that attacking football we've seen with Deserby in the past when he was at Sassuolo and, and Shakhtar, and he can now mm-hmm. implement it on this Brighton team that already have this pre-built defensive structure that Graham Potter gave them. It's, it's like it's a good mismatch of, of two managers in the same season, and it's, it's just you, you see it not work at times, but you're seeing it work, work so well for him now. Yeah, excellent. Good stuff. Uh, there were a few other games, but we'll just skim on through because... The last, the other big one this weekend, obviously huge ramifications for the title race. Um, Arsenal away to Spurs in a North London derby. Arsenal get away with a 2-0 win. Uh, Tommy, you catch any of this? I did. This was fun. Did you enjoy it, Sammy? This is for I you to take the floor, it. I think, I, my friend. I enjoyed it once the game was finished. but um, <laughs> what, yes, A bit nervy throughout, were you? Second half, look, not the, to your liking? <laughs> yeah, uh, not, not to my liking. I think Arsenal stood pretty strong. I think if you're Spurs, I think you're pretty frustrated again because once again, mm-hmm. it's this whole thing of going out, trying to stop the other team from scoring. Um, and then once you're 2-0 down, you're, just, you're fighting this uphill battle. Just that When Spurs did start to play and they started to move the ball through Kane and his hold-up play and getting the ball into Son and Kulisevsky was great every time he got a chance to get on it, but... It's just too little, too late, and then you're you're facing an uphill battle. You need a lot of luck to go your way as well. Sometimes, if you're gonna you're gonna come from two 0 down and then start playing football, they looked really good when they did start playing, and it had Arsenal fans nervous in the second half because if they got one, the momentum was probably theirs. Also, maybe an element of game management from Arsenal in the second half, just kind of holding their two 0 lead and hitting on the counter attack. But um, started off well. I, I guess we'll talk about the first goal. Saka getting in behind. The, this kid's been a star. Uh, goes down as a Loris own goal because of <laughs> he made a bit of a mess of it. There was a deflection. Um, what what do we think of Hugo Loris? I mean, I don't get any joy out of. I know he plays for Spurs, but as a football fan in general, I don't get any, get any joy out of seeing a guy like this suffering so much recently because his his mistakes seem to have just gone through the roof recently. That's a. I think it's a harsh own goal for him. The it, it, the deflection is what sends the ball into the back of the net. It's I think not, he he still has nah, to do better. Not. It hits him point blank in the chest. Still, like I think it's going straight across the face. To it. Yeah, I I think he's a little bit past it. I I was I was going to bring this up myself. I think it's it's probably time for for Spurs to try and start moving on post Hugo Lloris because it has it has bigger ramifications for them than just a goalkeeper. He's also their captain. They need, they need to, you assume it would be Harry Kane, but they need to find someone that 
can take that mantle post Kane as well. And I think they just need to start potentially thinking future more than they are because it goes back to the discussion of bringing Conte in. It's it's a it's a title now move, and I don't think Tottenham are in that position. I don't know. That's harsh on Lloris, man. He had seven very good World Cup games. It's just, it's a more, you know, if, if with Spurs, it kind of seems like death by a thousand cuts with their persistence of playing it out of the back and the amount of pressure they invite onto their, their you know, their defensive third with the way they try and keep the ball. I, I don't know. If they're doing better in the wide areas, they're not allowing shots being fired at him basically point blank like that. Yeah. And I think you you kind of saw that more with France that he felt more confidence with his defensive partners and that maybe exuded better performances because it seems very Spursy for him to keep making these mistakes. It's that whole cliche of the best form of defense being attack and, and Tottenham don't do it enough. And mm. and he gets that with France. He gets he gets those breathers because it's Mbappe and and the other guys in that French team putting the pressure on the other end of the ground. And and like Sam said, Tottenham have this come out and try and t- stop the other team from scoring and, yeah. and when it falls apart they have to find something and and they've had they've had 17 shots in the game on the weekend spurs three in the first half 14 in the second half mm. it's they are they are also like you can't it's it's okay having that approach if you've got if you're a well organized team and you're well structured and everything these guys they look so ordinary spurs in in terms of their their shape and their structure, right? Their back line is just all over the place. And that's partly down to Arsenal moving the ball really well. They were excellent. We'll get onto them in a sec, but they're just, they've got their own problems. Like you said, they, their line gets so out of shape and their midfield aren't good enough to support them. And then they're relying on these guys up front to just Harry Kane and Son to just pull magic out their asses to get them out of games and get results. I hadn't, I had a note here, Tom, because you called me out a few times last week for, the age comments, but um, and we know Loris is getting on, um, but I just noted here. But why is it when a when a player is older and they have a run of form like this, they're finished, and it's not just a a run of bad form. It's not just a dip because we're so ready yeah. to retire people in this society. We are, aren't we? We've got no respect for the elderly. Yeah, and look, Any- the boomers the boomers bring that on themselves. But I think when we're all talking right, right. in context of these guys, you can be a little bit more forgiving. Okay. Um, Martin Odegaard scored a belter of a second goal. Uh, Thomas Partey hit the post just before that with a, a weldy of a volley oh, that, that deserved filthy. to go in. Um, Arsenal fully deserving their 2-0 lead at halftime. And then the second half, it swings around a bit. I wanted to talk a bit about Enketiah. Um, Eddie. Eddie Enketiah. He's getting a lot of praise at the moment because he's he scored a few against Oxford in the Cup during the week and... He's, oh, don't don't diminish his goals against. I'm Oxford. not diminishing. I'm gonna tone. get there. I'm gonna get there. I'm gonna get there. <laughs> this guy's now leading the line. His work rate against Spurs in the derby was fantastic. He he makes all the right runs. He pretty much plays just like you would want Gabby Jesus to play. His finishing isn't always there. Mm. He had a few chances to put this game to bed. Loris made an excellent save to not to deny him on one of them, but he still should have scored. Arsenal were create, doing these counterattacks. Um, I just don't have, I don't know how much confidence I have. Arteta said that Gabby Jesus was still a fair way away from returning to play. 
And obviously, Arsenal have missed out on signing the Ukrainian striker. He's ended up going to Chelsea. They missed out on Felix, who I'm not even sure if they were legitimately in for him anyway or not. But I do worry about the prospect of Enkedia leading the line for the entirety of the rest of the season when we've still got cup games to play. We've still got Europa League to play. Mm-hmm. And he looked very, very tired from the 70th minute onwards last night. And that's partly because his work rate was incredible, but that's what that, that's what they needed from him. And he was back defending on the edge of his area and winning balls, holding up play really well, like an experienced striker, even though he's not experienced a whole lot yet. Um, but yeah, I do have fears about him leading the line for the rest of the the rest of the season if Gabby if Gabriel Jesus is gonna take a while to come back from his surgery. I yeah, no, I I no, I agree with you. What were we gonna say, Coop? I was I, I think it's harsh to to downplay his efforts and, and call him one of those guys that label him as one as one of those guys that tries really hard. But, oh, but I, I feel, didn't do that, did I? I, I feel, well, I feel like, yeah, kind of. I feel like that's what he does, and I feel like he does it better than a lot of them. But I don't Definitely. think he's a, I, I'm not sure he's a top six when you're the Premier League striker, and I think you're fortunate that you are as far ahead as you are if he is the solution for the next few months. Yeah, look, and it's it's not so much that it is Enkedi; it's the fact that it's not. Gabriel Jesus, you know, or it's not a top striker. Put put a body there. Either way, that one body is going to have to play a lot of football mm-hmm. over the next few months. Like for one guy, I don't care if it's Enkedia, if it's Jamie Vardy, if it's even if it was say, if it's if, like en- if Enkedia was injured and Gabby ha- Gabby Jesus was fit, Gabby Jesus would be our only fit striker right now, and I'd have similar concerns because it's so much football for one guy to play. Um, I don't know. I just maybe it's the I'm in my skeptical mode at the moment because Arsenal have now gone eight points clear, and it's <laughs> the pressure is the emotional investment is really starting to mount, and I hate that. I kind of like just sitting around fourth or fifth, not giving a fuck. <laughs> but when now I have to emotionally invest in it, and it, it I, I just start thinking, uh, I get worried. Paranoid. There's no expectation, is there? I like that on one hand, we're saying Napoli is home and hose being nine points clear, but you're sitting here saying Arsenal eight points clear. It's, <laughs> oh my God, we're going to throw this away. Oh my God. Conceivable chance. Um, the problem, I guess, is with having two, you know, absolute star strikers. You would have Jesus and another one contesting for that position every week. And isn't the whole idea of Jesus coming to Arsenal and performing well because he was being told you're the main man? And so that's why you have this situation that where if he's injured, it's Justin Kedia. Yeah. I just, I feel there's, if you were, if you had like a pecking order, it'd be good to have a striker that's probably in between the two levels. You so know like what I mean? A, you should have to, loaned again, him Yeah. <laughs> again, I don't want to discredit Enkedia. His work rate, excellent. He's finishing, like I said, has been good until... Uh, yesterday it's when he probably, down. he needed to put the game away. Yeah, it's up and down. It's not consistent enough. He's not experienced. Mm-hmm. That's not his. It's you know, it's it's not a go at him. It's just that's the stage in yeah. his career that he is at. He's not going to be. He's not going to be the Gabby Jesus replacement yet. But I feel like there is still that that gap where maybe another more experienced striker would be really handy mm-hmm. to have as a backup. That's not Jesus's level, but not maybe as you know. It's similar to where Julian Alvarez fills the gap for Man City between Erling yeah. Haaland and Cole Palmer. There's yeah. just there's there's that level, and I don't think the gap between Jesus and Enkedia is as big as the gap between Haaland and Palmer. I'm not saying no. that, but 
but it, it's why, like, I think the only forward you had on the bench on the weekend was that young Marquinhos. And yeah, he's a winger. We haven't seen a lot of him. Yeah. But I, ju- I just don't, I don't they're, think, they're, like you said, you don't have that guy to play that role. They're all wingers. Like, um, yeah. Can Martinelli, Martinelli play up top? Martinelli can play up top, but what he's giving to the side on the wing at the moment is just, you probably don't want to take it away, but he well, probably saw, could play up top. I'll just, I'll just cut you off quick. I saw Arsenal might be in for Rafinha. You're going to try and bring him on loan until the end of the season. And I wonder if that is the solution. Potentially you have Raf out left. You can play Martinelli through the middle with Enkedia rotating. How much would you lose in that respect? Maybe not a lot. It goes yeah, back to the discussion again, though. You do that, it's it's still a lot of footy for Martinelli to play. If even if true. he goes into yeah, nine, true. he still plays all those games. But whether yeah. the solution well, that's, becomes that's what I'm saying, though. That if that's the case, though, then you've got Martinelli and Enketia yeah. to do that role. You know, because you've got the extra winger body, and I guess, yeah, you're just either way, you're going to be short somewhere signing. at the moment. Yeah, yeah. just and, and, and attacking, attacking signing, signing. Would be good because that would free up Martinelli. You know. Um, but yeah, Arsenal looking good. Jacker born again. Thomas Partey solid. The back four solid as all hell. Aaron Ramsdale, who was um, brick wall, amazing. People, people best on joked about Arsenal signing Ramsdale, and he's been nothing and but ben excellent White in the last few everyone seasons. Else. Yeah, um, I'm give you stuff. a um, a vibe based area that you'll love, Sam. Here we go, vibe is, based. Is Martin Erdegaard the most informed footballer on the planet post World Cup? Oh, it's a huge call. I think uh, he potentially could like be. It. His influence He's on close. the game is huge. He is just pure class. He was one of those not sure signings again. It was it was when you, when you brought him in, everyone sort of everyone knew he had talent, but it was like a no one was really he hadn't sure. Proven it, really. To, no, that's it. And to go in what six to twelve months from that to captain and the. Probably one of the most. I think. I think if you take him out of this Arsenal team, they probably drop back to third or fourth again. And I think he's become probably one of, if not the most influential players on his side in the Premier League. Anything, Dad? Tom? No, hard to agree. We're massive uh, Edward fans here, and yeah. I think we've been fanboys since his signing. Like, obviously, had the talent. He's in the environment that. They've thrust the pressure on him. So they've given him the armband, like you said. They're yep. like, you're the main guy. Go out there and do the thing. And like he does it every game now, game after game. Yep. And it's it's super exciting to see, you know, players like him and KDB and Bruno Fernandes and stuff like that to go out there and like strut their stuff. Like that's yep. that's why you want to watch the Prem, see these guys light it up. I think, um, I know we're going on a bit about Arsenal now, but they've earned it this week. Um, I think it's a it shows a lot. It's a great testament to the Arsenal's recruiting and the job that the coaching staff have done in terms of all the players they brought in, like Saliba, Gabriel, Ben White, Ramsdale, Erdegaard, Thomas Party, even. Um, all the guys they brought in, it's like they've really narrowed down exactly what they want from a player and they've gone out and got exactly that. And not. And that's I think that's maybe why we haven't seen them rashly dive into a signing in January yet. Because if it's not on or it doesn't seem uh, a 100% fit, they're not going to do it. Um, we'll see how it plays out over the rest of January. But, yeah, I think uh, – I reckon that's all we've got. We've gone on a bit tonight. Um, we had an at-the-match pod put up. It was very windy. It was blowing an absolute gale at Highmarsh the other night. Another very grim 
Adelaide United performance at home against Melbourne Victory, but you can hear us talk about that one on there. Um, check it out. Keep an eye out for a red edition as well. I think we'll have a bit of a chat about Melbourne Victory now that we've we've let the dust settle a little. But um, cool. Thanks for coming on, guys. Have a good one, yeah?